This is the Jocko Underground Podcast number four with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. Also joining us, Good Deal Dave. <laughs> good evening, Dave. <laughs> All right, let's get into the topic of the day. So I know I th- we, we recorded a podcast earlier today about the Marine Corps document and uh, called Competing. And I know I kind of threw some stuff at you today, uh, kind of in that opening, talking about this this leadership and influence continuum. So I had neck issues. My neck, my neck. I had I had a problem with my neck. I had well, I woke up one day. This was years ago. I woke up one day and I couldn't move my right arm. Didn't move. Mm. So so imagine that you wake up and you can't move your right arm. Had some, so went to the doctor and they started figuring out what to do because I had basically some problems in my neck that was causing friction on the nerves that control my right arm. So I had to do some physical therapy and, and eventually it said, they said, you know, you're going to need to get surgery to fix this problem. Okay, so they gave me basically two options. Well, one option was don't get surgery, and you're, the longer it's in this condition, the worse chance it has of recovering, so that's not good. But you can do it if you don't want to take any chances uh, of getting surgery. So they gave me two options. So one was called a foramenotomy, which they go in through the back of your neck, and they basically chip away at some bone, and they give, the, they give some breathing room for your nerves. The other one they gave you is the other option they gave is to get a fusion where they go in th- the front of your neck and they basically carve a bunch of bone out and then they fuse your neck together so that it can't move. That one is considered to be the has a, has a superior result m- most of the time. It's also the last it's also the last resort. It's also you can't escalate from there. The other one, if you let's say you got the frame anatomy, the one going through the back and it didn't go well, or it didn't have the impact that you wanted it to have, well then you could go, well it didn't really work the way I wanted it to, now I wanna get the other one. So you at least had one more option. So as I considered this actually, there was a, there's, you, you talk through the possible problems that you could have. One of the problems, and this was back in the day, so one of the problems that you can have when you get a fusion going through the anterior of your neck, the front of your neck, when they're going in there, they're close to your vocal cords and they can cut your vocal cords and you can't talk anymore. Which back then I was, I mean, it's kind of scary to think now since the only thing I do for a living is talk, that would not have been cool. And I was thinking at the time, well, I, I'm in a leadership position, I need to be able to talk to people, that, that could be a problem. Also, there's you can die. You know, you can. They can just screw up, and you can just paralyze you, or they can kill you. So as I'm talking through the the, the doctor, who is the best neurosurgeon in the mili- in the navy on the west coast at the time, he was a really skilled guy. And I, you know, he said, "So you could die, you this and that." And I said, "Yeah, you know, what are the chances? I mean, what are the chances?" I said, "How many how many sides are on that dice, though?" And I said, "Like ten thousand? And he goes. About 200. <laughs> I said to myself, that's okay, not exactly what I wanted to hear. Uh, 
But then I told him, I said, hey, listen, if I can, if my friends can get hit with giant pieces of shrapnel flying through the air and live, I'm sure you with a scalpel on a sterilized surgery table, you can make this happen. And so I ended up choosing the frame anatomy to go in through the back. And the main reason why I chose it is because you can escalate from there. I had room to maneuver, right? There was some place to go. If the fusion front fusion doesn't get the desired result, you're just stuck with no, with, with that. That's what you're stuck with. So we don't wanna paint ourselves into a corner. As far as I can tell, I never wanna paint myself into a corner. I never wanna leave myself without any options. I don't wanna dig in to a particular position. I don't want to be in a situation that I can't get out of. And this is why it's such a strange thing because that should be your attitude as far as I'm concerned. I don't know. In my opinion, your attitude should be, I don't want to be stuck in a position. Should feel, should feel wrong if you're trapping yourself in a position. Which is weird because there's a counter to that, which is you have to be super determined, right? You have to be, you have to be super determined in order to move forward through tough challenges. You've gotta be determined. So you gotta balance that thing between being very, very determined, but at the same time, wanting to keep an open mind about what your options are. You wanna have both those things kind of going on. And I think for me, a lot of this boils down to thinking strategically versus thinking tactically. We want to start thinking strategically instead of thinking tactically, which everyone knows this, or you should know this. We shouldn't be doing things that benefit us in the short term if they don't benefit us in the long term as well. They're not worth doing. Sure, are there some little things? Hey, it's got a little benefit, so I'm gonna do it right now. It's no, there's no strategic harm or whatever, okay, fine. But I'm talking as a habitual way of living. We don't wanna do a bunch of things that are beneficial to us in the short term that hurt us in the long term. I mean, just think about your habits as a human being between if you decipher or you discriminate between this is good for me long term, this is only good for me short term. You could make so many decisions and they'd be awesome if you did things only that were good for you in the long term and not just things that are good for you in the short term, but they're bad for you in the long term. The goal, of course, is great when you have something that's good for you in the short term, good for you in the long term, super great. That's a no-brainer. We don't even need to talk about that one. But how do we, how do we actually start thinking in a way that we can think about the bigger picture, that we can think strategic in, instead of thinking tactically? Obviously, you got to keep your ego in check because we chase little tactical victories all the time. We we chase little tactical victories all the time. When it comes to leadership, right? Okay, do we chase a donut because a donut tastes good? Sure, we do that. That's a strategic strategic loss. It's a tactical win. Yeah, it tastes good. Mm-hmm. I feel good for 28 minutes after I eat a donut. And then after 32 minutes, I feel like a loser. It's actually probably less than that. It even. could even so be less than that. 25 seconds. 28 seconds. 28 seconds you feel yeah. like bad. Yeah, after the you figure once it's down, it's almost immediate. Really, Ugh. just face it. As far as donuts go, yeah, good point, good point. But we do it. People do it. 
I mean, whole whole swaths of society make that decision that's gonna feel good right now. Even though they know they can start their stopwatch in 28 seconds from now, we're gonna feel bad about it. So that's, the, that's an extreme example. It's an extreme example. But you think about something that there's a little less negative immediate impact, maybe skip a workout. Maybe I'm gonna, maybe I'm gonna win this argument, right? Because when we start talking about leadership, then it turns into my ego is telling me, oh, I'm gonna win this argument against Dave. I'm gonna win. And so now my ego is a problem. Now I can't think strategically because my ego is a problem. Because I wanna win the argument, I wanna prove that I'm right so badly that I will, I will detract from our relationship, I'll move things in the wrong direction, but I win this tactical moment because of my ego. Which is crazy to think that we would actually do that, and we do it all the time, people do it all the time. So how do we, so how do we start moving towards strategic thinking instead of short-term tactical thinking? For obviously, you gotta get your ego in check. The second thing you gotta do is you gotta get up to altitude. You gotta get up to altitude where you can see more than just this donut or just this argument. You gotta get up to altitude. And what you have to be able to do a little bit is you have to be able to see into the future. <laughs> and it doesn't take a rocket science scientist to figure out this, to see into the future. What's weird in jujitsu is you can you can kind of, when you're good at jujitsu, you can kind of see into the future a little bit. Mm-hmm. One move, two moves, four moves, five moves, maybe five moves, maybe six for me at the most. Maybe Dean sees eight. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a real good jujitsu practitioner is going to see even more. Um, what, when, Trey, go back to getting to altitude. Mm-hmm. What exactly do you mean? Like, what, how? How do you get to altitude? Because this is what you're talking about right now is a huge deal. It's actually your whole life. The, this concept right here <laughs> is your life. And we don't, well, most of us anyway, don't even have a handle on it. And we forget about because the instincts, right? Your instinct go is short term. That's an instinctual thing. Little kids, babies, animals, like all this short term. Grown adults, <laughs> human beings. <laughs> oh, yeah. So if you don't know you're playing the game every single second of your life or whatever, bruh, your instincts are just going to move you towards the, you know. You, you know what? You know what you can throw in that category for real? Drunk adults. Uh, yes. Sir. That just becomes an immediate short term oh, benefit yeah. of gain. What, 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 what do I want right now at this moment? Yeah. Same thing with lack of sleep, by the way. What about Jocko? It start you start to skew in that direction. Really? As yeah, short term for sure. Because, it, hey, correct me if I'm wrong with these little details. Whomever, um, it's the front part of your brain that that basically deals with all that, mm-hmm. all that seeing into the future, putting you basically making an analytical decision. Like, sure. oh, I feel this, but hey, that you know that might not be smart. That's the front part. Yeah, it's the front part of your brain. So when you drink, when you lack of sleep, all that stuff, that's the part that gets starts to get affected first. Okay, so you want to know about getting up to altitude. Yeah. Let's go to the literal version of getting up to altitude. Mm-hmm. Dave, wh- how Wait, why is you, it? Why are you asking? Well, because in an aircraft. <laughs> oh, I thought you were serious. Um, so, Dave, getting up to altitude. Talk to us about it. What, how much more can you see? Yeah, I mean, you, you can see a lot more. <laughs> and not only can you see a lot more, the things that you have, just to, to kind of extend this metaphor a little bit, the things that you have on the airplane work better up there too. So not only can you see more, all the other things that you have working with you can also see more. So 
it's it's kind of this multiplication effect of the higher up you are, the more everything else works. So the more that you can, the more you can see into the or down the road, if you want to call that into the future. And, and as you were talking about it, just and I'm. I'm doing what I am usually doing, which is actually writing things down and taking notes and <laughs> thinking about what you're saying. And damn, that's really good. I should use that. When, when you start about talking about being, you got to be humble. You have to get up to altitude. And I'm, I know you're con, you're going to continue to go somewhere with this conversation. And what I was thinking is, the first thought I had is, you have to realize you're going somewhere. You have to realize you're. We're all going somewhere at maybe at different rates, at different paces. Maybe some of us have a more refined understanding of where we're going. But what you're talking about is getting somewhere. Whether it's your company or your family or just you individually or whatever it is, we are not static sitting here. And we are all going somewhere. We're getting older at a minimum. So as you're as you're talking about this, I'm thinking of this is so you can go to where you want to go or get to where you want to get. And the higher up you are to look, the easier it is to see where you're going and what's out there to deal with as you're as you're moving in some direction. Yeah, well, the assumption that you make, well, I guess no. I, I, so the assumption that you make is we, we we are all going somewhere. So I guess I was going to say that's wrong, but no, it's actually correct. We are all going somewhere. The question is, are you going where you want to go? Yeah. That's the question. And if you don't know where you're going, well, that's a, a big problem. The blessing for me going into the Navy and going into the SEAL teams and just being able to say, well, I want to be a good SEAL, that was all I needed to to keep myself from going to the wrong place. Going to the wrong place. So we can actually choose our destination, which is a miracle. Yeah. Right? We can actually choose our destination. A lot of people, when you see them wandering, they don't know where they're going. Well, that's a problem. And you know where they're gonna, when you wander like that, where do you go? You don't go uphill, I'll tell you that. You no. don't go down the hard path, I'll tell you that. You know where you go? You go down the easiest path. That's kind of just there. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just there. Would you say, Echo Charles? Yes, sir. You were kind of wandering for a decent amount of your life where I don't know, I think you, I think you started, like when you started getting into video production, did you have any other goals before that where you said, you know what, that's what I kind of want to do. That's where I'm going. And, well, I think there's different. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. To answer your question, no, not really. I, I mean, mean, you you, you had jujitsu, right? Well, first you had right. football, right? I want to play football. I want to play college ball. Yeah. Like that's a, something yeah. you had to strive for and work for. Yeah. Did you ever think NFL? Was that even on your? Uh, as a kid, but yeah. yeah, no, that wasn't. What At what point does that dream get squashed? Somewhere in in college, and it gets squashed from like at a realization. Yeah, kind of everything. Yeah, for sure. Size, like, weight, speed. A couple people on the team that can just any anybody from your college team go play pro. Yeah, well, yeah. And how when you were on the field with them, you knew that they were going to be pro, and you weren't. Put it this way: you don't really know who's going to go pro, and basically the realization comes in like a few a few different places. But the main one, okay, actually a big one that no one really talks about is like just becoming an adult. You start things start to become put in, into perspective better as just as an adult. So if you're thinking as a kid, you're like, heck yeah, I'm the best one on my high school team. I'm going to go and you know and play NFL, obviously, because I'm going to get better and better. But then you go to college and then. They tell you statistics like, yeah, one out of a division one team, like one, two, maybe three guys go. Dang. Depends on the school, obviously. Then you're like, oh, all right. 
So of our team, if only two of us have to go, who's going? I'm not the guy, the best guy on the team mm-hmm. straight up, you know? And that's not to mention certain positions, no one's going. Straight up, most positions, nobody's going. So then just put that into perspective. So then it's like, okay, I'm going to try to do this. And then as you progress through college, you see other people, just how good they are, and they're not going. You're like, And then you see the NFL guys and their numbers. You're like, I think I'll look for I don't know. <laughs> alternate employment. You <laughs> work on my degree over here, yeah. Yeah, so and that comes pretty early, I think, maybe within the first, I don't know, two years or something. But and then Dave, you had the you found your target early on after you saw Top Gun and you said, Okay, well, I know what I'm gonna do. And that is guiding all these freaking decisions in your life. Yeah. Which is amazing. It it is. Uh, I mean, certainly looking back on it, as I've spent time recently sort of reflecting back on when that happened, why that happened, and even the recognition. And I got to be careful, even as I think about what I just said about we're we're all going somewhere. Some of that is just me kind of making sense of what you're saying is, is I think it's more the recognition that there is an opportunity for us to go somewhere and you can miss that. And what I developed at some early age, I think earlier than typical, was a sense of paranoia of, hey, I'm going to miss my window. And I'm not implying that it's healthy for like 14-year-olds to be paranoid about their future. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that I have some roadmap that is the way to be successful. In a lot of ways, I just got flat out lucky. But I did have a sense of, if I want to get something that I want, you got to move towards that now and that was the connection between sort of just the delayed gratification, which I think is kind of what you're, even that donut analogy is kind of like that, like, mm-hmm. oh, I know that would taste good, but it's not going to get me to where I want. So I, I'm moving somewhere and I got to do things now that I might not want to do so I can get to where I want to go. I did figure that out, I, I think, pretty early. I mean, I had that was one advantage I have. And I don't think, I don't think it's too much different than what you've talked about is... I wanted to join the Navy and be a good SEAL. There was some sense of, I want to go do this thing. I don't know if I could really explain it, but I know there's something out there I want to do, and I'm going to do the things I got to do to have the chance to do that. Um, And of course, we're kind of, I'm assuming anyway, we're talking about like career right now, like when you're like, oh, Echo, you're wandering or whatever. I get, I maybe. Because there's there's essentially multiple kind of dimensions, if you will, with that the career and what you want to, who you want to be when you grow mm-hmm. up and that, that that's one part of it yeah. for sure. And in that way, I was wandering. But then there's these other parts too, where if you want to put it into one like question, it's like, who do you, what and who do you want to be when you grow up? Mm-hmm. So like you can have a career, but then be failing in life for sure, making mm-hmm. a lot of money sure. or whatever and be unhealthy, poor relationships, you know, stress, all, all this stuff. Um, so if you kind of break it up into like a va- little value system or whatever, then then you can kind of overall consider what games you want to play with mm-hmm. each one of them. So if you can go relationships, like friendly and intimate, and then if you want like a you know family or whatever, that's kind of in that too. Because um, that, that's these are all games that are in play. You can go short-term gratification type mm-hmm. game and you can go long-term like goals and all of these things. And then you can go health, capability, and then uh, then career, how you and how you make your money. So, yes, I was wondering career wise, mm-hmm. but all the other things, I I knew I had goals for sure. Legit, the when 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 I started thinking through this, what was what we're talking about right now 
is like a sliver of where my mind kind of wandered. Because as, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, okay, well, that means you gotta go up to altitude, which is like, okay, well now, we, now when we go up to altitude, we actually now have a different perspective of every of everything. Yeah. Really, when you get up to altitude, you have a different perspective of everything. And what this makes me think about is I use the term flank all the time. Like, hey, you want to flank, right? And it's it's like a real it's well, it's a tactical move, right? Okay, the the enemy is straight ahead. We don't want to attack them straight ahead because that's where they they know where we are. That's where they built their defenses. So we're gonna therefore come around from the side, come around from a different angle. That's the goal of of flanking. That's what we're trying to do. But in order to flank, in order to actually do a flank, you have to first see that there is a different angle. You have to actually see that. You cannot just look at it from one direction. You have to you have to get altitude. You have to get altitude. But I'm going to go beyond that too. You have to open your mind as well. So, and and I think I talked about this with you, Dave. Where I was like, "Hey, here's a f- here's an here's a question we get asked all the time, and here's a flanking answer, and it's a one that you won't even recognize as a flank, or we don't really recognize as a flank anymore. But when someone says, "Hey, you know, how do I get someone to buy into the plan?" And if you don't, if you just look at that as, as it is, how do you get someone to buy into the plan? Oh, well, what you need to do is you need to explain it better. You explain that plan better, or you need to explain the why to them. Or, you know, sometimes they, you need to force them to do it. Like, oh, they, you know, it's not about getting buy-in. We just need to force them to do it. Sometimes, you know, so you, you just got to tell them. Sometimes you got you to execute it whether you, whether you uh, buy into it or not. You're going to execute it. So all those are answers. And, and they actually... On the surface, they're answers that that you can you can say, okay, yeah, well, I need to explain the why better. Okay, got it. Or I need to explain the plan better. Okay, got it. Or you know, sometimes you got to just kind of impose your will a little bit on people and and get that pound of flesh to make sure that they're doing what you want them to do. And all those are like you could you could convince somebody that those are okay. the The reality is the flank is no. Actually, what you do is you let them come up with a plan. That's what you do. In order to get there, you can't just look at the you can't just hear the question at face value. You have to hear more. You have to see more. So flanking isn't just a tactical way. It's not just a tactical maneuver. It's an actual way of thinking. And I think Dave, at some point, you're going to get sick of me taking things and saying that this thing is not just a thing. It's a way of thinking. But the reality is, you can't just get focused on the enemy fire. When there's an enemy directly in, ahead of you, you can't get focused on the enemy fire. And what's, what, what's even more important than that is you can't just get focused on what you can actually see. You cannot allow yourself to get focused on what you can actually see. What you see, what you see isn't the answer. What you see is a, is a frontal assault. That's what you see. What you see is the enemy ahead of you, you see them, they're shooting at you, you know where they are, and what you see is not the answer. Because what you, when you see that, what you do is you attack it. That's what you see, you would see it, you attack it. That's what you do. And that means death in this particular situation. 
it's target fixation. What do they teach you about target fixation? How does that, How? because I think I heard that term initially from the aviation community. I think it's a term that, that the SEAL team stole from the aviation community to, to utilize because it's applicable. Yeah. What do they teach you about target fixation? You know, there's, there's in aviation, there are a bunch of different examples of that. I think the earliest and simplest one that, that I can reference in aviation is as you're attacking a target, um, and you know, on an airplane, you'd have like a, not much different than a sight on a gun. You have a sight on an airplane that has a little diamond or a circle or something we call it a pipper, which is basically the thing you put on the target and you move that around and refine it. So as you're focusing on that target, your weapons are kind of pointed with that or your airplanes pointed at that target. And as you're diving down hill, like from altitude, diving down towards the ground, you're pointing at that target and you're maneuvering around and, and focusing your, your, your pipper, your sight on the target. And what target fixation will lead to is as you're doing that, you, if you're not careful, you will literally fly into the ground as you're fixating on that one thing. And so there's a real specific literal example of how target fixation can kill you, which is you lose sight of the minimum altitude, you lose sight of the terrain, you lose sight of mountains and things like that, and you, you are focusing on that one site and that one target and target fixation, what happens is People fly their airplanes directly into the ground and sometimes don't even realize it. And they, what we call CFIT, controlled flight into terrain, because they're focused on one thing. There are a bunch of different examples of that too, but that's kind of the most fundamental one because the outcome of that is you fly your plane into the ground. Do they give you a technique to avoid target fixation? Yeah, the, the, the technique for target fixation is a combination of things, but the, the most critical piece of that that they teach you is something we call a scan, which is... I'm going to allow you to devote, okay, Jocko, in, in this time as you're going downhill, I'm going to teach you something called a scan and you're going to devote a per- certain percentage of your time of t- to the pipper, to this target. Then you're going to devote a certain percent of your time to the altimeter. Then you're going to devote a certain percent of your time to the airspeed indicator. And you're going to give you three or four things that you are supposed to be looking at mm-hmm. and you kind of timeshare between so you don't fixate on one of them. Now, you can have fixation on something else that might not lead to catastrophe, but it'll, it'll prevent you from accomplishing your mission. Mm-hmm. If all you're looking at is the altimeter, you'll never get the target on top of the site and you won't accomplish your mission. So you can expand on that concept in almost an infinite number of ways as you step back and think about it. But the most obvious one is if you fix it in the target, you'll eventually run into the target with your airplane. In leadership strategy and tactics, I talked about the barricaded shooter meaning there's a bad guy at the end of a hallway. This is training that I would set up for the SEAL platoons. There's a bad guy at the end of the hallway. Every time you put somebody in the hallway, you're trying to clear this building. Every time you put someone in the hallway, they get shot up with paintball and they get put down. And so what do you do? You send two more guys and they get shot down and then you send two more guys and they get shot. And it would be target fixation because the the platoon chief or the platoon commander would get told you got to go clear this building. So they you know here's the entryway. They go in there and they just get put person after person after person after person into the hallway to get shot. When all they really need to do is take a step back mentally and say, wait a second, I've just lost five guys in this hallway. I'm not putting any more guys in the hallway. I'm going to take a couple guys, put them external, meaning they're going to leave the building that we're in, climb out a window, go down to the end of the hallway where this guy is and throw some grenades in there and get him. I can't, the, the amount of people that would fail that drill was, was crazy. 
it was crazy. It's probably the same when you're at Top Gun, the amount of times you have to go, hey man, stop looking at the target, you need to pull up or totally. whatever. And, and you, have the, you have the audible warning as well, which says warning, warning, altitude, altitude. That's right. The amount of times that, that, that people did get target fixation was crazy. And so what you have to do is you have to sort of, what you see, the answer is not in what you see. This is the hardest, this is the thing that I've, I've, I, I've, I got, I am target fixated on right now is that what you see is not the answer. And you, what you do is you stare at that thing because that's what you see and the answer isn't there. So what you have to do is you have to teach people to think beyond what they can actually see. They have to think outside of what they've been trained to do. They have to think outside of what they can see in front of them. Which is, which is again, this is a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do. Would you get the muscle? Was it? Would it be muscle memory that would go, pipper altimeter whatever pipper altimeter whatever? Would it be muscle memory that would make you do that? Because if you think about people texting and driving, right? Have you ever texted and drove, uh, Echo Charles? That's classified. Okay, Dave, have you ever texted and driven? I have. I have texted and driven. Uh, the. Have you ever gone over, have you ever gotten target fixated on your phone? Totally. Echo Charles. Yes, sir. Okay. Freaked you out, right? And you're like, oh, you threw yeah. your phone into the chair and said, I'm, I'm an idiot, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm like hyper aware of target fixation if I'm texting and driving. And I've done it. I, I mean, I try not to do it. Um, obviously, it's a stupid thing to do. I do, not, I do not get target fixated when I text and drive. I do not. I go, I, I, I look at, I, 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 just, I just totally am paranoid about it. You know, you talked about paranoid earlier. I'm paranoid about it because I realize how stupid it is. So, but, but I have some sort of like paranoia in my mind that makes me not look at that phone for more than a freaking half a second. Did they have some kind of training where they could say, hey, listen, dude, it's this, 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 it's this, this, and this. Do they put you into that? Is it, a, is it a pattern that they throw you into? Yeah, and it starts really early. These things that I call scans, uh, and, and I'm giving like a really, I would say very rudimentary, very fundamental example because the ones I'm thinking about when you're talking about the barricaded shooter are, are in my mind, and we can get to it if it makes sense, into different situations about like attacking other aircraft and attack, attacking targets and a much more robust, but at the very beginning of flight school, the, as soon as you get past how the airplane works, they start teaching you scans, which is how long are you supposed supposed to devote your energy to the different things that the airplane can tell you? How often do you look outside? How often do you look inside? These three gauges all tell you some part of the story. None of the gauges tell you the whole story. Not one single gauge on that airplane will tell you the whole story of what's happening to the airplane. So you have to look at all the gauges. There are times that some of those gauges tell you things that aren't really important. So an example would be if I'm at 25,000 feet and I'm, how often am I gonna look at the altimeter if the ground is a concern? I, almost never. Mm -hmm. If I'm at 200 feet, how often am I gonna looking at the altimeter if the ground's important? It's gonna be altimeter this, altimeter this. And that's the, that's the texting thing. When, when I have picked up the phone in the past, the first thought I have is don't do this. And then I pick it up. And then the second thought I had is, this is stupid. And then the third thought I have is, as soon as I look down on the phone, I'm looking back up. Because I know that it's, it's, it's 
taking attention away from what I'm supposed to be doing and it could get me killed. And the indicator is as soon as I drift and I look up like I have moved out of the lane or whatever that is, that feedback is what tells me that feeling that you just described has been ingrained in me since the day I sat in an airplane. The paranoia of what do you not see that's going to kill you? And I'm literally feeling that internally right now, that feeling of like it's borderline nausea of I've been spending too much time looking at this when I should have been looking at something else. Look, when it's voluntary, it's just stupid. Like if you're texting and driving, you're an idiot. But the other part is is it's the target fixation that comes from task saturation, which is, hey, moving that diamond onto the target is really important. I have to have that aiming site onto the target for me to be successful. And so my focus on that is not being careless. It's that I know that's really important, but if I, lo- if I don't see those other things, I will do that all the way into the ground. And that is catastrophic. So you get paranoid about it. You get par- you, and you, you should be. You learn that paranoia from the very beginning, which is just flying straight and level, altitude, indicator for speed, altitude, indicator for vertical movement. And you just click, click, click. But it's, it's, it's one of the very first things they teach you, and it's to teach you the habit of looking for things you're not seeing. That's the habit they're trying to teach you. And as you're talking, I'm thinking, like, that is what you're saying is such a... Looking for things you're not seeing. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. Totally. Is, look, is learning to look for things that you don't see because what you see isn't the answer. What you see isn't what's going to kill you. Yes. Well, I guess in, a, in an assault, frontal assault, what you see is what's going to kill. The answer that's right in front of you is not the thing you need to focus on. You need to see what you're not seeing. Yeah. You're not saying ignore that uh, position either. Right, right. And it, I think it's – and the the – Top gun scenario is, you know, as I'm thinking about the airplanes that I flew, and and so if I'm flying against you, you're 20, 30 miles in front of me, and I see you, then I would put my radar into you, and I would put these systems, and I would kind of focus on everything there. I know as much, I, I can see everything you're doing. I can see every move, every speed change, every. I can see 100% of you. Even though you're directly in front of me, you're not that big of a threat because I know what you're doing. But when I assign all my systems to you, they stop looking for everything else. And that's the paranoia you're supposed to feel of is, and we called it single target track. STT is the term. That means every system you have is focused on one single target. The cool thing about STT is that you get so much good information. I can see every single thing about you, which in the beginning is what you want. You want people to like, I want every piece of information I can about you. The problem is, is what you said is, that machine that I'm targeting in single target track is the least likely to kill me because I know the most about you. It's all the other things that are out there. So the habit you're trying to build is is the minute I figure that out, I want to get out of that single target track, out of that target fixation, and look for all the other things because there's where the real risk is. Not that you're not a factor. You are a factor, but you're not the real risk. I had two situations when I was uh, uh, an assistant platoon commander at SEAL Team 2. They were both in the urban environment. One of them, we were supposed to uh, supposed to go like rescue a hostage or something like that, or assault a building. And anyways, it was in a range, but we were using paintball. And the let's say the south side of the range, or the south side of this wall of this road was facades, meaning it wasn't full buildings; it was fake buildings. And the enemy, the bad guys, were 
all inside those facades because it was it was a really good mount scenario with all these buildings along this street and the buildings on the south side were all real buildings and you had to maneuver through and all this stuff and this whole thing was in a encompassed or uh, surrounded by berms because sometimes they, we would use it for live fire so there's berms and then there's this little fake city and the north end of the city was was just a facade so you could do whatever movement. So we get a you know a, a time sensitive tasking to go and assault these the the building one of the buildings in the south side of the town where you know there's going to be bad guys. Anyways, I look at the platoon. And I go, okay, here's what we're going to do, and we just took like the bulk of the platoon and they kind of what did what they were supposed to do, which is go to the south part of the city and start clearing towards the target. The other five of us ran around, got over the berms, and ran all the way, standing up and running. Behind the burns, we're completely got dead space. We go all the way back. We pop up behind the facades and we just shoot all the bad guys in the back. That was not the answer that we saw, but it was as soon as you went to altitude, you go, oh, okay, we know what to do here. Yeah. Another one was they had a this one, same platoon, and there was a, they had captured one of our platoon mates and they were holding him hostage and they had him yelling, you know, help me, help me, and a bunch of other horrible things. And what they're, they had them on like the third floor of a big building. And what they're expecting us to do is to, okay, we know he's in that building. What is the C, you know, what is the standard operating procedures for this situation? We go and we clear the building, start on the ground floor and clear our way up. And I said, hey, we're, we're not going to clear anything. We're going to go right to the, because we could tell where he's in. We could tell where the screen, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're playing it up and they're, they're having fun. They've got him hanging out the window and we're going to kill him right now. And they're expecting us to go and clear this whole building, which is going to take 15 minutes. And I said, we're going to go on that fire escape. We're going to go all the way to the third floor where we know he is. And we're going to go right to that room. We're going to skip every other room. And that's what we did. And we, once again, we walked in and just shot the bad guy, shot the two bad guys who are looking out the window to see where we are. We see where we're coming from, listening to see if we're getting close. Boom, we shoot them and kill them. Why? Because the, the answer wasn't what was right in front of us. It wasn't what we, it wasn't what we had been trained to do. Neither one of those things was what we had been trained to do. So, so we get this idea of coming at things from a different angle, of not getting single target track, of not getting target fixation, of getting up to altitude. And this obviously doesn't only apply to tactics and it's not just a way of thinking on the battlefield and it's not just a way of thinking of maneuvering a jet and it's not just a way of thinking about how to maneuver a, a platoon it's how to approach other people how, how to interact with other people how to talk to them how to help them how to help them help themselves how to help them help themselves as they help the team move forward in the right direction And I, I, I know I've been talking a lot on EF Online, on, on, the, on the underground here, on the podcast, about paying attention. About paying attention. And it's one of those things I actually heard somebody else say, pay attention, the other did it uh, yesterday. Somebody else said, pay attention. And, and I realized saying pay attention is a little bit of an offensive thing. I hadn't really recognized it. I've been using it so much that I've failed to recognize that, you know, when I say, hey, you need to pay attention to this, Dave. That's a little bit of, that's a, that's a shock. That's implying you're not paying attention that I know what you should be paying attention to. It's something that I've been saying a lot. But we have to. 
We have to pay attention. And what we have to pay attention to is we have to pay attention to what we're looking at. We have to pay attention to what we can actually see. And then, is what we can actually see what we should be looking at? Is it really there? Is it what it appears to be? And most important, is there some other angle where there's other opportunities? Is there a flank that's open? Why are we not? The program, the, 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 the pattern that I want to have is, okay, I see what's in front of me. Now I'm looking for a flank. Now I'm looking for another direction to go. That's, that's what I want to do. I want that pattern to be in my head of I see what this person's asking me. I see the question, what other angle can I come at it from? There's got to be another way besides what that actual question was. There's got to be another way. I got to talk to Echo about something. And I know it's a problematic thing. I know it's something that he's very emotional about. There's got to be a way for me to approach this that avoids that, that flare-up of emotion. How can I find it? If all I see, if all I look at is what's right in front of my face, I can't see it. So we want to train ourselves to, like you said, Dave, it's not ignore the thing that's in front of us. You have to, it's there. You have to pay attention to it. It may be the solution, but there's a good chance that there's another solution from an opposite direction. That's what I've been thinking about. And, and, and the other thing is, and this is also close to what you said, when, when you are looking, when you are looking, what you cannot see, those are your flanks. Those are your flanks. So when I focus all my instruments on just this aircraft that's right in front of me, I have to recognize that my flanks are open. I have to recognize that. And if I don't recognize it, that's when I'm going to get caught. So that's what I've been thinking about lately. And maybe we'll go more into some depth on that next time. Watching our flanks, paying attention to our flanks. Isn't that like the, the reason? For like, you know, how people, they focus so hardcore on their career and then other other parts of their situation start to falter, namely yes. their health and, and all this other stuff. Yes, health, relationships, um, family, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We If we get target fixation on one thing, other things are starting to fall apart. Yeah, it seems like a typical one because the career is like such a huge target right what do you want to be when you grow up you know i got this new job it's new or it's accelerating or whatever you know it like takes a lot out of you kind of thing yeah what's interesting about that is a lot of jobs you can never complete so 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 look at my job yeah there i couldn't i can't complete all my jobs i could work 24 hours a day and i will not get done what i want to get done there's zero zero percent chance so that means I could just spend 24 hours a day. I could go on crystal methamphetamine and just stay awake and just like we're just gonna go, yeah. right? Yeah. That's that. Is that a good solution set? No, it's not. <laughs> not <laughs> Clearly, not a good. It's not a sustainable no, situation. But that, like you said, it's very easy for someone that's in that kind of a job to say, "Hmm, um, 
okay, I need to do more. I, I No, I'm not coming home. I, I'm going to miss dinner again. Yeah, I'm not coming home this weekend. We can't go to the dance recital for for you know the girl. We can't go to the ball game. It's not happening. Mm-hmm. The, like that's what happens, mm-hmm. and you get that target fixation. Next thing you know, you look up, you get flanked, yep. and you don't have a family anymore, or you don't have your health anymore. Yeah, and that's not to mention to it. I say this because it's like there are little things that creep in that you don't realize are jamming you up with the with the job thing. So even if it doesn't require your actual like, hey, I'm working, right? I have a meeting, I have a whatever. I got to work late tonight. Even if it's not necessarily that, your mind is on work. You know, when you go home and it's like you're even if you're literally at dinner with your family, Mm -hmm. which is like a good thing, right? You're all around the dinner table and stuff. Meanwhile, you're just checked out because you're so like pulled by like your work essentially. And that can go like throughout the whole day. Throughout your whole weekend, you're thinking about work. What can I do to, even if you're doing it in a positive way, what can I do to improve my, mm-hmm. you know, district or whatever, you know, whatever your work is. Um, and then in that way, yeah, you're target fixated in that way. Meanwhile, everyone's like, what the hell's up with dad over here? He's like, doesn't even care about my, the guy bullying me at school or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. So it's like that can creep in and then because and it's easy to th- think of that as a good thing where it's like, yeah, I'm yeah. always like I'm always getting I'm grinding it. and yeah, you know, I'm always like looking to improve like this for the family. Right. I work for the family. Like I make money for you guys. Right. It's kind of like that. You, you know, what's weird is when I hear the word grinding. Yeah. Sure. When, when I hear the word. Now, gr- yeah. No, when I hear the word grinding to me, it's not a positive thing. Mm. Like I'm on the grind. Right. To me, I think grinding your grinding gears, your gears, right? Got it, yeah. I'm not thinking of a positive. Hey, that's great. You're because gr- to me that would be. Hey, I'm kicking ass. Right. Hey, I'm I'm making a ton of progress right now. Those yeah. are cool words. Yeah. I like you know if I call Echo. Hey, how's it going? Hey, man, I'm I'm making a ton of progress on these videos. Yeah. I, I got a bunch of cuts done, and I did, redid the audio, sure, and it's awesome. Really. But if you're like, um, I'm just grinding. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I don't. I'm not super stoked on that. I mean, look, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to take away anything from the grind, it's, right? We got the yeah. grind in wrestling. We embrace yeah. the grind, you yeah. know, in the in the hustle. What's the the hustle ecosystem out yeah. there, the right? Hustle culture. The hustle culture. Yeah. We're we're embracing the grind, right. which is a good attitude to have. Like, I got a lot of hard work to do. I'm going to embrace it when I go get after. Yeah. I'm not. I'm saying that there is also an alternate meaning to the word grind, which is my gears are being destroyed. Yeah, ground into the ground. Kind of. And that's not good. So I'd rather hear someone say, oh, I'm making a ton of progress right now. Right. What I find is if I'm telling you I'm grinding, I'm kind of telling you I'm not making a ton of progress right now. That's kind of what I hear. I, yeah. That's just my own interpretation. But yeah. if I was like, "Hey, Dave, uh, you know, do you got that? Did you have that client brief ready?" And you're like, uh, "I'm grinding on it." If you said that, I'd be like, "I'm, I'm not. I don't have a great feeling about yeah. it." If you said, yeah. "Hey, I, I made a bunch of progress yesterday, and you know, we're getting there." Yeah. Okay, cool. That's good. Yeah, that's like a subtle. Difference and, and, and it's probably just common. in my own freaking yeah. weird head. I don't think that's a common thing. Maybe it is. I don't know, but it doesn't seem like that's a common interpretation of the grind. Grind, I think, just in general means I'm working hard. Yeah. Like it's hard work. But, but again, whether you're progressing or not, yeah, that's, that's what I don't like. That's I don't like. I don't like that. Yeah. I, and look, you know who grinds? Me. Sometimes yeah. I grind. Yeah. And you know what's horrible for me is all my all my jobs. None of them end. For instance, you know when we you know when I have a podcast prepped. 
you know when? When it's time to go record it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'll keep working on it because I want to. I want to tweak this one more thing. I want to look right. one more thing up. I want to co- cover this. I got to get the pronunciation of that word over there. I got to. I could. I a podcast would never be done yeah, if there sense. was no. Hey, you know what? We're meeting at five o'clock tonight, and we're going to record that thing. That means at three fifty-eight, I'm hitting print, regardless of where <laughs> we're at, and we're going to come in here. We're going to make this thing happen. Yeah. So that's the way it is with everything. Yeah. Which is not which is not always fun because that means I'm kind of grinding my gears, <laughs> right? It's like kind of like the equivalent of spinning your wheels almost. Yeah. So what's the word for Jocko? Like what's the you know the way a normal person who uses the word grind would use the word grind? What's your word? I would say knocking stuff out. Just like hey, I'm, st- I'm knocking oh, stuff yeah, out. Oh huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, I knock this stuff out and knock that out. Knock this out. Just knocking it out. So if I'm like, hey Jocko, what are you up to? And you're like just knocking stuff out today. Yeah. 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 And if and I would only say that if there was some legit stuff getting knocked out. Yeah. If I was like, yeah, hey, I just submitted this manuscript. I just finished up this brief. I just did like that's what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah, then again, enough to go too deep on these little details, but knocking stuff out, that kind of gives the impression of like I'm completing For task sure. after task that's after task. That's what it's so nice about. It. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you need that extra. Yeah. What do you got, Dave? Um I was, was kind of listening to what you were saying, and and as you're talking about all this stuff, I'm I'm constantly coming back to this idea of balance, and we talk about it all the time. Balance, all the time, dichotomy and the balance, and all these forces at play. But as you were talking about the example of you know you, you got a family, you got work. Balance is not the same as equal. Being balanced on something is doesn't mean that you are equally managing whatever those things are. And I was coming back to just the example you asked me about earlier about scans, which is just the aviation term of looking at not getting target fixated. When you're when you're coming aboard the ship, and I was thinking in terms of how this lesson was taught to me. When you're landing aboard the ship, when you're visual of the ship and you're gonna land your plane on a ship, the scan is meatball, lineup, angle of attack. Meatball, lineup, angle attack. Meaning the meatball is the visual up and down, lineup is left and right, and angle attack is speed. And the scan is those three. And the lesson of what they're telling you is, how do those three compare to each other? Well, they're equal. You have to devote equal time to meatball lineup angle of attack. And so they're telling you from history, those are the three things that you're looking at. You're also not looking at anything else, but you're also not devoting more from one to the other. There are other times you're doing a scan and you'll say, you know, altitude, vertical speed, altitude, airspeed, altitude, vertical speed, altitude, airspeed. And what does that tell you? Altitude is the most important thing. So I'm gonna devote more of my time to altitude. And when you were talking about family is, hey, uh, you know, my family is important. Hey, my job is important. That, that doesn't mean that you're gonna go 50-50 on those two things. Now, the other side is I can't say, hey, listen, right now we're, we're grinding or we're, we're prioritizing this thing at work and that your family goes to zero. And you know, you miss the ball game, you miss that, but if you, Go to zero eventually, just like you described, eventually you're gonna look up and go, hey, what happened? (laughs) Well, what happened is your family's gone or your kids don't wanna be around you anymore or hey, this other part of your scan, the altitude part, you lost sight of that, you hit the ground, whatever that is. But when you're looking for the balance, the balance isn't 50-50. It's not equal parts this and that. It's what is required to keep each of those where they, they need to be. 
And you also as a leader, as an individual, have to recognize that that is shifting all the time. That is shifting all the time. And if you're doing this scan or this looking around at all these things and you devote too much attention to one and not enough to the other, it's the other that's gonna get you killed, not the one you're devoting your attention to. So just the connection of balance, and you talk about it all the time, but as you were describing that, balance and, and equal, that's not what it means. Yeah, when people ask me, what, how, you know, how do you do the work-life balance? I say, hey, the the answer to work-life balance is in the question. It's balance. And what I end up telling people is that what you need to do is you need to you need to become more acutely sensitive to the feedback that you're getting. So if the feedback from my wife is, you know, cook your own dinner. <laughs> okay, we got we got a problem. If feedback from the job is, um, hey, I'm pulling you off that project, right? Yeah. Then I I want to pick up on those things before we get to those moments. So we need to once again not get target fixated. We need to check the different panels, the different instruments, the different systems, the different ecosystems that we're trying to balance our life in. And you need to sometimes look. Guess what? If your spouse is going through some drama at work, guess where you need to focus some more attention? Does that mean you blow off work completely? No. If your work is going through a crisis and there's fires to put out, you gotta tell your wife, hey, gonna be some late nights for the next month while we get this stuff squared away. That's what you need to do. Hey, on, on your instruments, does anything ever beep like in the movies? No, <laughs> they, like beep, they talk to you. <laughs> Right. They, they do. They beep. Oh, okay. they, they use actual English words. They do all sorts of things. They, it's a female. Okay, it is, right? it's it a, is female. a female. I, I, okay. I, I did the I did the backseat ride, yeah. and the voice was saying, "Warning, warning, yeah. altitude, altitude." And I'm sitting here hearing that. I go, that doesn't sound like a good thing to be being warned about <laughs> right now. Yeah. But why were we getting that warning when I was flying with that guy? I mean, I, mean, I literally heard that. Uh, my guess would be is it that he had it plugged in there as like an internal reminder to him as opposed to he was v- like in extremis. So yeah. I'll set up like on a descent, I'll have a warning here and a warning here. I And I and the, the trick is the, the ideal situation and it connects to what you're talking about is, okay, I have an altimeter warning set at 5,000 feet. At 5,100 feet, I go, I'm about to hear the warning. Warning, cool, I'm good. But if I'm flying around and I hear warning, warning, I'm like, holy cow, what's going on? That means... I'm behind. So those warnings, if you are aware of them, are actually positive reassurance. Mm. If they catch you off guard, that means you are behind. That means your scan is slowing down. You're not paying attention to the things like the ground. <laughs> but we'd have warnings. You'd set a warning at the ship at, at 200 feet. If I was ever surprised by that warning, that means I was behind and it was an indicator to go, dude, you're behind, Get back, catch back up. <clears throat> In an ideal situation, a half a second before it goes off, I go, you're about to hear the warning. Boom, there it is, we're good, and I keep and I keep going. And that's a good indicator of whether your scan is slowing down and you're gonna get yourself killed or you're keeping up. So more than likely, he wasn't he wasn't surprised by those. They were good indicators and he was aware of them. Yeah, it was up at Fallon doing, you know, so he might have had some hard deck. That's right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're welcome, Echo Charles. We all can talk about the hard deck. Hey man, hard deck. All day. Violated the hard deck. Uh, that you literally, that is literally exactly my point. Where you, I mean, you can set the warnings apparently. Where okay, the war- oh damn, that's even you, better. You can. So I, I'm basing it off. I don't know some arbitrary movie where it, when it beeps, you know you're in trouble, kind of a thing. So a lot of times, like we'll wait for the beep, 
we won't have these grad, these other warnings, you know. We'll be like, oh, it ain't beeping, so I'm not going to check in that much with this gauge. Or I don't know, whatever you guys have. Yeah. Gauges. bunch of gauges. It happens with uh, military or free fall, too. People have a problem with their parachute, and they just try and fix it, try and fix it, try and fix it, and then they, and then they burn in. Or, but they also have audible warnings at a certain altitude, you know, that makes a noise so that you know, hey, you're going, and they actually have where you have to be going at a certain speed through a certain altitude that you know, oh, wait a second, this is not good. Totally. You were talking about this, I think, a while ago, it, like the cars with the lane departure warning thing. Yeah, yeah. If I, if I have a good, if I see what's going on, I'll let my car get halfway out of the lane. <laughs> if I if I see that there's nobody within a mile in front of me and there's nobody next to me and it drives my wife nuts and I'm like I got it because I actually do have it and and the exact opposite is true is if I could not even be out of the lane but if the car is correcting for me and I don't and and I have and I'm surprised by that that's a really bad sign it's really that sense of are you keeping up with what's going on because the truth is if there's nobody around you being in your lane it's not that big of a deal it's when you don't realize that it's happening is what that that gets you killed I'm not advocating driving out of your lanes but a lot of times I'm explaining to my wife I know what's happening and we're okay and then there's times a car will do things for me and I'm like damn yeah. that sucks because I didn't see what was going on and this thing just saved me those are really bad signs yeah, but a lot of times we're like with the, with any kind of relationship, kid, wife, friends, even whatever. It's like you're just over there doing your thing, and hey, no, no, there's no beeps going on or whatever, and then whatever your wife is packing up, and then it's like, man, you know, remember the, remember yeah. we were at the at the origin camp. Mm. Um, I forget his name. The guy was totally explaining it to us. Remember, he was like, man, I was making good money. We had a big house and all this stuff, and then the. The, the thing I remember him saying, he's like, when he, he he's like, why are you leaving to his wife? He's like, why are you leaving? He, he, and she was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to try to tell you this again or something like that. And she was like, my heart is like hamburger. Remember that guy said yes, that? Yes, I do remember that. Yeah. And man, the story was crazy because in his mind, he was killing yeah. it. He was killing the whole game. Like yep. he was doing really good. And then, yeah, he was, he just waited for that beep and the beep was too late, man. Don't wait for the beep. Don't wait for the beep. Got to check in. Really check into those gauges. Yes. See what up. Sure. Alt- altimeter. What is that? Like a obviously measures how high you are. Don't wait till it gets to beep mode. Yeah. And look around. And don't just look at what's right in front of you. Yeah. There's a lot more to see. All right. Well, uh, good place to stop. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for supporting the cause on the underground. As always, you can get. Supplements from jockofuel.com. You can get jujitsu gear, jeans, boots, clothing, originmain.com. You can get stuff to represent on the path at jockostore.com. Written a bunch of books you can check out if you want to. Leadership, discipline, kids' books. Have a consulting company. Go to echelonfront.com for that. On the interwebs, Dave is at David R. Burke. Echo is at Echo Charles. And I am at Jocko Willink. And thanks for joining us. Mobilized and underground. And until next time, this is Dave and Echo and Jocko out.